Welcome back to the Outlandish Fed Podcast, episode 48, contemplate or rather contemporary commentary 001 on Westworld season two, episode one, with first time uh call in person with first time guest, uh Mr. Daniel ba- Babcock. Can you hear me, Daniel? I can hear you now. Oh wow! Oh, thank the heavens. This is this is the fourth time we have attempted this, and wow, I mean how how apropos that we be talking about Westworld and having issues with technology today. Um, and uh, one thing I should say before I even get into introducing Mr. Babcock appropriately as I should is that um, is is uh, that we want to do this segment. Um, we want to do the segment on Mondays, and of course there will be spoilers uh, after Westworld and. Um, and uh, so Westworld will be viewed uh, or capable to be viewed on nine, at 9 p.m. on HBO or HBO Go. Uh, that's Eastern or real time, by the way. East, Eastern or real time, right. I get to see it a little bit earlier being in uh, San Diego. And so, well, before I talk a little bit about Westworld, I should say a little bit about you. Uh, I first met Mr. Babcock here, uh, Mr. Daniel. I'll probably call him Mr. Babcock because I, I, we met at the same program, St. John's, uh, for a graduate uh, degree, a master's degree in liberal arts. And, um, I, I think I've, I'm, we met just about seven years ago. Um, seven years ago now. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just over seven. Yeah. Seven years ago, last January. Wow. Time flies. Time really does fly. Time really does fly. And it's funny because you were all, you were already a teacher then and you were taking the master's degree and I had no idea what it was I, that it was, I was going to do. And it turns out now that I, I happen to be a teacher and, uh, uh, low scale, radio personality too um <laughs> low volume <laughs> well i'm really happy you, yeah i'm really happy that you agreed to come on here uh mr babcock uh, uh and so so you come from the same tradition as uh uh well at least from the same graduate program as uh the other two people we've had on this program now uh, mr wesley chance and miss sarah miller and maybe we can get three of us or all four of us together and do some sort of seminar that's oh, that'd be great yeah yeah, I think that would be good fun. And so something that we always shared is not only a love for the great books, and of course you're a teacher at a Catholic school in the Midwest now, after having been a teacher at uh, just a public school in Baltimore, right? Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, so you're getting back to your Catholic roots in Michigan. and In fact, you're in Detroit, aren't you? Uh, yeah, the school's um, uh, University of Detroit Jesuit. It's, um, uh, yeah, in the north, north side of the city. All right, well, that's very fantastic that you're back in your hometown and uh what a town to be back in i do uh, Um, well that i mean i think that's what it's going to take to make that a thriving sort of place again so um you know it's good that you you are a good person who love a good place and will hopefully help to infuse it with more good it can be sort of like the opposite of what westworld has become Uh, yeah which is sort of a no place right yeah 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 like an ooh yeah like an utopia but a negative Exactly. Uh, utopia. Right. Exactly. Because it's, uh, I mean, and just sort of jump in and I, I suppose we should say, we're not just going to summarize the episodes here. You can watch them yourselves, but we'll, we'll throw some analysis out and provide that, which we do provide, which will be some classical connections and just some personal and psychological and interesting connections. Um, and that's the sort of thing that we do here. And, uh, so yeah, what was striking to me was when, um, the, uh, story, the narrative creator in, uh, the, uh, in the care of Maeve when he, uh, when he got to the control room, effectively the brain of, of Westworld. And he, uh, he said, no one's in charge. Yeah. 
those dogs are really going. Uh, my, oh, you can hear my, hold on, let me try to quiet her down for a moment, hold on. Sorry, I apologize. Okay, it's okay. It's our first time doing the, this sort of thing. And, uh, we ran into technical issues. We ran into a dog incessantly barking, <laughs> sort of issue. Um, I, we have only we have only up to go from here. Yeah, right, right. Can't get worse. Right, and uh, so I, we were talking about um, the uh, the control center of Westworld now being unmanned, and it, it's sort of both literally and metaphorically unmanned now. Right, uh, not only were all of the technicians who oversaw the running of the park at the beginning of the season two, episode one, dead, and even one was sprawled out bloody on the map. Yeah. With, uh, but also Anthony Hopkins' character, the sort of uh, God the Father figure uh, alongside um, Arnold, he too is dead, the sort of spiritual guide or the great storyteller, the second great storyteller, if you take the man in black's opinion of Arnold uh, as Arnold being the supreme storyteller. Uh, seriously, which I, I think is going to be proved wrong in this episode or, uh, or excuse me, in this season, this season called the door rather than the maze, especially because uh, remember Dr. Robert Ford saying that, well, to the man in black during this episode, that um, you're done with Arnold's game. You found the center of the maze, but now, now you have to find the door. Now you have to find your way out. You have to find your way uh, through my game, which will find you. And then he actually kills the avatar of the young Robert forward saying i don't need you anymore suggesting sort of suggesting to me kind of what our modern situation is without a sort of uh anthropomorphized god the father uh figure where we 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 more distribute our stories as it were as as people i'm making a connection between the 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 show and our contemporary situation as if we as if we do not have some we do not feel the same guiding force as a people that has a figure in that way who provides a story within which each person plays. So Does that makes sense. Yeah. So doesn't the um, the young Robert Ford uh, host say something like? Uh, so he says a few things. Obviously, they're all sort of uh, cryptic. But um, one is I, the one that comes to mind most is the game ends where you begin and begins where you end. And then, yes. uh, but I feel like he says something right before that, something about the game is inside you, or is that maybe something someone says to Dolores in season one? I can't quite recall. Well, I mean, certainly Dolores had to look inside herself to find that her image of God, like Dante's image of God, was not from the opposing sex, was not from some uh, figure that was beyond her, just as Dante has Beatrice, so does Dolores have Arnold at first, right. but she finally visualizes herself. She sees the her in the future yeah. that will draw her along uh, her possibilities, her potentialities into actualities. She yeah, sees who she her... can become. Go ahead. No, yeah, it's called her what? I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say, it's called her voice, right? They said like, I, I, uh, I mean, it's in the preview for this episode. I was just watching. It's like uh, the, the, the voice you need to hear is your own, essentially, is the idea. Like, you That's right. Self. That's right. And, we, we often as educators, and I think as writers too, hear so much about finding one's own voice 
which I think is predicated on the idea of the logos and free speech, yeah. but also on the idea of consciousness. You find out who it is that you actually are and can make your own conscious and free choices to embody who it is you wish or will become by knowing precisely who it is you, you are. And so it, it strikes me as sort of Jungian in that uh, it's sort of individuation or the idea of individuation even for a once android now conscious being is to become conscious of what it is and where it exists within its own story. And to become like sort of John Peter says, uh, a master of games, one not only capable of following the rules of a game, but one of creating a game with new rules. Yeah. And well, okay. So the, the number one in that regard is that we don't know what the new rules are. Right. Right. The- That's big. That's big. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny, I was reading Maps of Meaning this morning, and there's actually uh, a quote about when chaos comes on, and I don't want to have dead air here and just be looking for it. I might I might have to well, look. Well, here, it's like, you, it's like you go ahead and pull it up, because yeah. I have a few thoughts about where you started as well. Why don't you look at that? Yeah, go on, um, go on, go on, go on. The, uh, uh, the, so, the idea that the god has been killed in Robert Ford makes me wonder about the notion of you know Nietzsche saying God is dead so for us so if this is a commentary on our own society that that our God is dead and we are now set forth to create our own narratives if in an analogous fashion are we are the the hosts here so the story now is about them but what happens to this narrative of God and then that makes me think about the like before we as humans quote-unquote killed God according to Nietzsche was all of our history about him. So in the, in the world of Westworld, the narrative is about human beings, but then human beings create uh, intelligence, and then the narrative of humans is over. Is that analogous to the narrative of God is over when humans sort of begin to create their own narratives? Does that make sense? Well, yes. Yeah, perfect, perfect sense. Okay. Because um, one, of, one of the ideas brought up by Carl Jung and then uh, uh, um, Eric Neumann did some good work on as well as well as um mercia Eliadi and now jordan peterson is the idea of the old dead king um uh or the old the old blind king rather um uh who even in egyptian mythology is represented by not horus that's his son but osiris osiris um is killed by his brother set from which we get the word satan and the solar hero horus has to go down to the underworld and to renew him, to re-embody him, to bring new order, but to restore order to a state of chaos. And so the idea I think I see with both Maeve and Dolores seeming to come to consciousness is that now they are capable of directly incarnating or embodying Mm. consciousness rather than simply receiving instructions and rules and a narrative from outside, from that which is old and dead tradition or... uh, the patriarchal sort of um, infused narrative into them, which is natural to them. They are now conscious enough to, to um, bring about their own stories. You know, um, it, though it's a little bit less clear with Maeve, whether she's doing that or not. Yeah. Perhaps I, was thinking, I was thinking as I was watching last night that I'm not sure that she's independent from the narrative. Right. I, I feel like there's something holding her back, but uh, do you, do you think it is? Um, I mean, obviously it's purpose purposive on the writer's part, but do you think there's some sort of commentary about it being two female characters, two, two feminine, and, and also yes. archetypes? One being the 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 um, the, I don't, the I, prostitute, I, 
one, the hometown girl. Well, the hypersexual who becomes the mother and then the, the, the damsel in distress who becomes the warrior, essentially. Like, they're both... That's very good. Uh, That's very good. Yes, stereotypes. Yeah, well, I see, uh, I see multiple dimensions to both of those ideas. I see not only the extension of consciousness and the way down is the way up and in mm-hmm. embodying different roles in existence. One sees more of that which one can see. One sees more of existence and therefore becomes more conscious of that which exists by having to have embodied more experiences. Yeah. Um, I also see that both of them are coupling up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Maeve with, um, I always forget the name of his character, but Hector. I know that the, uh, the actor's name is Rodrigo Hector. Of course I know. Uh, and his last name is Eschaton, which in Greek oh, yeah. means uh, limit of times, right? Limit. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, well, yeah. Eschatology and theology is the study of the end times. That's right. And so he brings about the end. Um, but what the end is going to be is very much interesting because now he has this attraction to Maeve and it's sort of, there, there are these two ideas of potential marriage going on there. There's Maeve's feelings for Hector and there's also Dolores' feelings for Teddy. And I, I just want to focus on that for one second. And Dolores, her name means grief. Mm-hmm. She comes to consciousness first. Yeah. Teddy comes from Theodore. That means gift of God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so oh, I, good. Yeah. I think, I think what I see with them is an Adam and Eve connection, just as Eve became conscious before Adam and thus bring suffering into the oh, world. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the same thing with Dolores and Teddy. And you can see that in the look on his face while they're running, going through, uh, you know, buckets and buckets of blood. Every, everybody they pass. In fact, he says the last 10 miles, we've just gone by dead body after dead body after endless amounts of blood. He does not, he seen, he does not like what he's seen. Yes. Um, and just to add to that, let me read this Thomas Kuhn quote that, 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 that uh, relates to your point about what happens when the rules change, when the paradigm shifts, because that's what we seem to be seeing here. Uh, there's a moment of chaos and conflict. That seems obvious. That sort of thing happens. Uh, in the Aeneid, of course, when Troy falls, all sorts of uh, terrible, ravenous things happen. People are burned. Children are killed, including a CNX. Uh, Cassandra is raped. And uh, because there is a suspension of the rules. Yeah. In that, there is no order, right. and that is thing that happens during pure anarchy. And so here we are: the transition from a paradigm in crisis to a new one, from which a new tradition of normal science can emerge, is far from a cumulative process, one achieved by an articulation or extension of the old paradigm. Rather, it is a reconstruction of the field from new fundamentals, a reconstruction that changes some of the field's most daring theoretical generalizations, as well as many of its paradigm methods and applications. So many things are going to change. During the transition period, there will be a large but never complete overlap between the problems that can be solved by the old and the new paradigm. But there will also be a decisive difference in the modes of solution. When the transition is complete, the profession will have changed its view of the field, its methods, and its goals. So and there was even- the, goals, yeah, so the goals are different. So the, the end, so the telos of humans is different than the telos of the hosts. Well, so that's an interesting question there, I, I wonder. So the initial presuppositions of the game change, which means how you have to play the game changes, which would suggest that the goal of the game or the way that you win it is now completely different. You have to completely readapt your behavior to the now new playing field. It's like going from the water gym in Pokemon in Cerulean City to the fire <laughs> channel. But I, I, I say that in jest, but I also say that in earnest. 
because um, in order to beat the fire type trainers, you're going to need a totally different arsenal and strategy from beating the water type trainers. And I think that's sort of a, a simplified child or juvenile way of teaching somebody that. And so the game right now seems to be figure out what the game actually is. Figure out what the rules are. Figure, figure out what's happening because we have all these open questions, right? We've heard that there are six parks. What is that about? We now see there are these things that not even Bernard or potentially Arnold knew about that the executives have been put it into the park. They're extracting people's memories. Yeah, um, and DNA allegedly, right? And DNA, and there's also uh, there are these things called drone hosts uh-huh. now, and, and, and they want Peter Abernathy the, the, the father of Dolores Abernathy, Peter the Rock, the foundation. Now he was who, the first one, just to remind myself, he was the first, in the very first episode, he was the one that went haywire, correct? Like yeah, he, found he the was picture, the one that's the photograph. Yes, these violent ends, or these violent, violent delights. delights. These violent delights have violent yeah, ends. Yeah, I just taught uh, Romeo and Juliet, just finished teaching Romeo and Juliet to my freshman. Well, that's wonderful, that uh, famous story between Romeo, Rome, and Juliet, Julius, sort of like Rome and Julius. Uh, these are very interesting there. Well, that's wonderful. That shake. So you, you yourself could be the professor. But uh, the idea seems to be figure out what the rules are. Yeah. Figure out how big the actual world is and what the relationship between the uh, Delos Westworld Park is. Delos, of course, is an island where Apollo had an oracle named the Sybil who would give prophecies from him. Oh, and I forgot so that's that. Oh, yes. Oh, very good. Okay. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Westworld also um, could be considered simply a metaphor for the world in which we all reside, the West world, um, the world of the West. Um, but it looks like figuring out the relationship between the outside world and the inside world, whatever that means in this particular world. What do those other five parks have? We know there's sort of an East world or samurai park. My roommate and I were talking about what that could possibly mean or what extra parks could be like potentially like a Rome world or a Greek world or like an American revolution, mm-hmm. world, something like that. Egyptian world. Um, those would all be pretty cool. But, um, but also figuring out what is this new game that, um, that um, Robert Ford has laid out and, and, and what exactly to the hosts now freed intend to accomplish uh which recalls to me just to tie back to d- the eve and adam connection what do you do what do you do after you leave eden and so yeah. what's, it, what's interesting in the old testament is one of the first things that happens is that the very second generation the first generation born out of eden cain and abel well you kill that's the first thing cain kills his brother there's conflict you don't understand how the world works and that seems to be what happens here on a large scale. There's large war for no reason um, or war for, for conflict precisely because nobody knows what to do anymore because the rules have disappeared. But what do we do now? Well, it seems that you have to restore a new order or there, there needs to be a competition between potentially the humans and, and uh, the androids in order to, I want to call them replicants. Yeah, I know, the, the hosts. Hosts, excuse me. Yeah, uh, or, or there needs to be some sort of competition to see whose order will prevail. I, I would imagine ultimately some sort of harmony being reached between them because they recognize their mutual consciousness would be the most ideal rather than some sort of terrible genocide of one over the well, other. Well, it's a level of, I, um, it's a, it has to be a, a, a dialectic, 
right? You have two opposing forces that need to come to some new synthesis of it, of, of, uh, of an idea. And I think that ties back to what we were talking about a few moments ago, that, that we don't know what the telos is for the host. And I think potentially it's because we don't know what our own telos is. I mean, you know, we have ideas. That's right. That's right. And I, I think that ties into two really good points because uh, the one is this. The, the humans clearly do not know what their telos is because whenever they come to this park where they can be a hero, they choose to be demons. Correct. And, and the second thing about that is that the humans keep misunderstanding and misrepresenting what the actual problem or situation is. They keep saying, these are just robots. These are just robots. Machines, they, just do what they're they told. call them, yeah. Machines, they're just doing what they're told. And it's like, no, see, it, you are misrepresenting the problem. They are conscious beings that are fighting against you now and are capable of the same sort of thinking you are. And so it seems as if they are projecting their own lack of consciousness about what they are onto these other creatures. Yeah, think about that moment, um, um, that moment when you, it's, it's supposed to be right after the, the massacre uh, begins and there's a group of investors that are huddled with Bernard and um, Charlotte Hale in this barn. And uh, there's a woman outside being used as target practice, a, a human woman who is killed. And it's the uh, the raiders, the the guys who come and attack Dolores in the very first episode, but um, of the show. But anyways, they, there's a boy, a stable boy, who comes in, and all he wants is to help them. And Bernard tries to defend the boy, and he is smacked down, and the the boy is killed. And the boy does don't save the merchandise. Exactly right. He has no he has no ill intention towards anyone, and yet they just destroy him for no for, out of fear, essentially. Out of pure prejudice, in a way, yes, too. Correct. No risks. Yeah, because he he they are they are projecting the idea of the stranger, the stranger correct. onto him. And the stranger essentially looks like what one of the aliens from the Aliens movies look like. For some reason, I'm forgetting the name of the uh, Geiger. Yes, oh, Geiger's yeah. alien. Correct. Yes, the Xenomorph. Uh, yeah, and the Xenomorph. Yeah, I, I think that that's perfect representation of the archetype of the foreigner and just how scary it can be in terms of uh, behavioral patterns ideas and beliefs um and so that seems to be the idea there they're like even if he is innocent and full of potential and nice we're going to kill him because he's potentially actually going to uh, harm us yeah right now can i go back to a moment when you were talking about the um uh what happens in what happens after adam and eve are kicked out of the garden uh this season is called the door and so i wonder if i wonder if like, have they, I mean, they, they, they definitely have been kicked out of the garden, but are we even at a second generation yet? Because, like, it seems to me that they're still trapped and trying to get out. So I feel like... Well, excellent, excellent, excellent. Another two things on that, because I think that the garden metaphor is useful, but the, the explicit metaphor is Daedalus' is labyrinth. They've gotten to the middle where the Minotaur was, and the Minotaur was oh, them, yes. and to face their own violence. Now they have to follow Ariadne's thread, right. which is golden, and a weave, and therefore uh, connected to Athena and therefore consciousness. They have to, by their own consciousness, rather than following the following the rule or the weave, they have to follow, excuse me, rather than following the path to the middle, which was already set out for them, they now follow the golden path, which is their own consciousness yeah. to find their way out. And, and is, uh, this, is this a mirror of the, the hosts and the humans have to find their own way out but both goals are essentially like now it's they're on equal footing. The hosts and the humans are the same in that they both need to get out and they both don't know the 
correct path. Like they both have to for- use, as you say, their consciousness to get out. The very idea of a door is an interesting one. In the Roman mythology, Janus, January, yeah, right. we get uh-huh. two-faced of portways or gates or doors. And so a, a door is both a beginning and an end. And so we see that the articulation of that is precisely what Dr. Ford yeah. in uh, post form said to the man in black. Uh, you end in your beginning and you begin in your end at the door. And so a door can be opened in order to invite someone in to be a guest or slam shut in their face uh, in order to mark them as not a guest, not, not someone to be extended uh, the guest host relationship, the, the Zinnia. So I, I would say that the very name of the, uh, of the season supports your, your interpretation so far. And if I could just read one, one other thing written by Peterson here, I think this will help our, help us see what is happening in this first episode. So imagine chaos. And now what do you do after chaos? A truly unexpected event sequence upsets the implicit assumptions upon which the original particular fantasy was predicated. Not only that fantasy, but innumerable presently implicit others equally dependent for their existence upon those violated presuppositions like that host can kill you or not kill you. The inevitable consequence of such violation is the breakdown of expectation is precisely what the man in black likes and consequent generation of fear. That's most of the humans in there and hope, which is what, man in black is actually feeling because it seems like he might be redeemed from his evil deeds in the real world in this uh in, in the season followed by exploration the attempt to adapt to the new environment to behave appropriately to fulfill motivational demands and, and we recall that that was actually something Dolores asked the humans all that she uh, recall that uh Dolores asked the humans she said what is your uh cornerstone motivation what what is it that you what is it you live for? And they say, don't kill me. And she says survival, but there's also violence as well. So we see here um, uh, that uh, figuring out how to fulfill motivational demands will be very interesting, especially eating, sleeping and staying alive Uh, and to map new conditions map. This consequence requires the paralysis of the old model, which we've already seen uh, uh, being, being actually explicitly uh, the old model, the old map has a dead body on it now and a new map will have to be, set up by this new Delos uh, operative who we, who we meet. But remember, he can't even set up the map, right? Because the, the, they get there and he, it's been terraformed by God. God terraformed it before he, he died. Remember? Right, right, right. So at the end of the episode, when uh, Bernard and the team, now led by this Delos executive, um, the, when they get, they get to the end of the map, they get to the end of known territory, there is a sea separating them from where they intended to go, which they did not expect to see. So there will have to be some sort of Moses type figure who will have to part it for them, who will have to go heroically into the unknown and forge a path for those who will follow. And uh, it seems like that person is going to be Bernard, though what we find out from that scene is that he's killed all the hosts that are floating macabrely within it. Yeah. You know that um, the, all the dead bodies, both then and in the quote unquote real world, wherever, wherever this, this, uh, you know, office space of Delos is the, the control room, I guess, uh, the amount of dead bodies was a staggering to me. And it made me think about, uh, you know, all those lines in Dante, when he mentions, you know, uh, I could not imagine so many, so many souls would have lived on the earth. Um, just that, that illusion, just a visual illusion alone, just, 
to the to the vast number of corpses just lying everywhere. Um, when it also recalls to me Jesus's proclamation, "Let the dead bury the dead," um, because all these people, these were people who played who played within the rules of the old game. Yes, and then, which is dead. Yes, and now they're dead as well. And so the people who have the level of consciousness and adaptability necessary in order to adapt to a new game, new rules, new behavioral patterns, and are capable of satisfying their varying motivational needs on this new map, well, those are the people who are left, which, which is very interesting. I always, I always find myself thinking about this and bringing this up, but from the arcade video game Mortal Kombat, uh, Mortal Kombat 2 specifically, um, that we played growing up, um, the story of the second one was that those unworthy humans who were weak of soul all had their souls taken immediately when we were invaded by a soul-stealing threat, but only our strongest fighters remained uh, uh, to fight for us on, our bi- on the big stage. And that strikes me as precisely what's happening here in uh, this episode, that uh, there is sort of like a flood, and it takes care of the vast majority of humans and hosts. And so now the sort of elite crew from which all, all, all things in the, the new order will spring is left. So we've um, had, so biblical references, we've had the uh, leaving the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Eden maybe leaving them in a way, right? It's sort of consumed from yes. within. And then also the great flood of both Noah and Moses in a way, right? Purging, yes. purging the yeah, land. Yeah, yeah. The going, used uh, right? differently, the going through the Reed Sea, uh, as an individual, as a heroic individual, mapping that which is unknown and making it known so that those can follow, as well as the flood, which you might also consider uh, a revelation yeah. um, reference, a reaping. There was a reaping of most of the hosts and the humans in the world. And so now um, those, those, and now the hosts, <coughs> excuse me, and the, um, the humans who are capable of adapting are sowing what they have reaped because they've developed the consciousness necessary to adapt to new dangerous circumstances, they get to play the new game. And Bernard has also shown us that as a host, he can harvest from another host, right? He steals that like brain, brain fluid or CPU coolant fluid or whatever from the one corpse host. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was a very interesting moment. Uh, and because it, I, I was unclear whether he was facing like sort of not to take a term from altered carbon, real death. Because it said that he was critically corrupted. Yeah. I didn't know if that was his like sort of CPU brain, which we get to see for the first time several times in this episode, which is fa- uh, which has some sort of like amniotic or brain fluid right. around it, which he, which he actually links from his ears, which I imagine is sort of a physical metaphor for the fact that his brain has been melted <laughs> by the encounter with all that he's learned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the question I only have remaining is, is, is that a permanent condition, right? Is he constantly going to have to go around and, and basically be a vampire by sucking the life force out of the, you know, the ends of these hosts. Um, uh, and there was something else I was just thinking about with that. Um, I, oh, oh, some of his diagnoses, some of his uh, issues were, uh, one of them was prospectnosia, which is not being able to recognize faces, which I found that to be an ironic sort of thing uh, for a, a demonic bloodsucker. Yeah, interesting. And uh, also, he was suffering from the same problem that Dolores and Maeve were, were where he, uh, he and Jonathan Nolan showing sort of his, uh, his, his cinematic history here with, uh, with um, uh, how am I forgetting the name of the, the memory movie? Oh, Memento. Um, yeah, Memento. of course. Yeah. Memento. That, um, 
that um, what's happening is he doesn't know when he's in the present. Yeah, uh, right. He's, he's actually so. It, what's interesting is what uh, seems to disorient us as humans is place. Where are we? We don't know where we are anymore. But what gets the hosts because they're always in the same place uh, functionally as time. time. Yeah, they don't know when. <clears throat> they don't know when they are, um, and so they they can exist within their streams of memories, and uh, their memories seem to be so vivid to them that um, it's as if they're actually reliving them um which is very interesting because it sort of reminds me of dante's angels and in, in the heaven they don't have memories because they're constantly viewing the source and so it's almost as if the hosts don't see time that they live one eternal moment um that's like a, a long harmonious strand and so that each one of their experiences is all happening at the same time which strikes me as sort of the idea of the divine and so well okay yes now and that is a product of the fact that they are deathless, right? That they are rejuvenated when they, when they are, you know, quote unquote killed, but they, but we humans, because we die and we do not have a second life, or at least we, you know, we don't know what that second life is. We're not conscious of this one or previous ones, uh, previous lives. We, we then therefore live in time alone. Whereas the so, host, as you so say, exactly right. Are, are, are only in place. They're not. In that's time. right. Yeah, that's right. That's, so they're like Dionysian. Yeah. And also Christ-like in that way. Yeah. And that they, they they come to be and they pass away and they come to be and they pass away. And what's interesting about that, just another sort of biblical, but also ancient uh, references that uh, the hosts seem to have the river Lethe yes. within earthly paradise. They exist within this paradise where they never learn about the evil of man because they get killed and then have their minds wiped. Yeah. And so they never have to deal with the fact that there is evil in the world because the moment that their preconception that their preconceptions are uh, are sort of obliterated so are they and then their memory is yeah uh, which I, I, I which also strikes me as sort of the idea of trauma um that one something happens so bad that one just spends all one's time trying to repress the fact that there's now a hole in one's map rather than trying to fill it with the uh, uh understanding the terrible thing that happened to oneself and knowing that that's a real thing that there are factors that can cause it which and that was the that's the whole premise of of the that's the whole mode by which the hosts become conscious right wasn't it being able to remember their past trauma and and what's that's exactly right that's exactly right and, and 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 that's funny because that's both what dante and milton say lead to consciousness correct yeah so so when when uh when satan talks to his daughter sin in the presence of his son death whom he had by incestuous relationships with relationship with sin who looks just like skilla from the odyssey uh -huh. and has a Dogs that yelp about her her belly, like your dog, uh, but which can uh, which can whose name by the way retract, is Lucille, by the way Lucille Lightbringer, beautiful name. I, I'm happy to meet Lucille. Um, but those dogs on sin can then retract back into her womb and bite her from the inside, and so it's a horrifying image yes. that Satan had relations with her. But basically, the idea is this: that the moment that he and and he had her from his head, just like Zeus Athena. had Athena, but this. This negative rendition he said and she says you thought i was so beautiful up in heaven when you were amongst the seraphim now you think me so ugly and it's like yeah that's like the idea of sin right an idea seems so good yeah. when you just have it in your head right but then once you follow it through and you feel the emotions after like raskolnikov and crime and punishment it's just awful and um so in sin coming into the world or error so did woe for satan because uh, or rather in sin coming into the world Sin being error, that's recognition of evil. Evil leads to recognition of the fact of 
death because one doesn't just live within one's inner Gaia the moment there is sin or error in the world. You can make a mistake and have to deal with the suffering of that fact. The fact of death after sin then leads to woe because you suffer anxiety due to the fact that you now know that death exists. Um, and so you become conscious of the future through the pain that is caused through your errors and thus recognition of death and falling off your path, which is how, the, which was a constant comment made about the host that they looked most alive when they were conscious precise or when they were suffering precisely because that was the most conscious they were being because just as the Buddhists say, the fundamental uh, underlying aspect of reality seems to be suffering. That when they're suffering or through their suffering, Dolores, grief, um, they come to consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, that is precisely how man comes to consciousness. In the Adam and Eve story, he has to become conscious of good and evil. And evil leads to woe right. which uh, because of the knowledge of death. And, uh, well, that... Uh, well, I just think that's quite perfect. Um, that idea that uh, they do originally come to consciousness just in the same way we originally came to consciousness through s suffering and error and the expectation of error in the future, which is anxiety, but also also our greatest ideal for transforming uh, our present comes about because of that. That's hope. And you can see that also in Dolores and also Maeve. They both have a goal now. Now that they can live more than one day at a time, <clears throat> and can uh, sort of defend themselves against the paltry pleasures of the guests, they can, they can have a vision of the future, which they attempt to transform the world about them to uh, uh, realize. And which, can, and which can be, which is unmapped, right? They don't know what it will be. It is a, a dream, essentially. Right. It's, 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 it's the, heavenly, it's the yeah. heavenly Jerusalem. It's what Moses leads the Jews towards after taking them out of or the Israelites at that time, out of, um, out of Egypt. That, or what Aeneas promises to the Trojans when he leads them out of Troy. It's he's leading them to a place that only exists in his mind at this moment. Dolores is leading her men in, uh, to a place that only exists in her mind that they're all going to make together. They're going to make a new civilization with a new order. Um, and so, right. Exactly. I would, I would completely agree yeah. with what you're saying. Now, what, uh, what do you make of the new god who is uh, essentially a uh, technocrat, right? This, this, this uh, corporate guy who comes in, who I believe is actually um, the brother. My brother is telling me he's the brother of the guy who plays the uh, Pennywise in the new It movie. Uh, but anyways, that's uh, non sequitur. Yeah, he's a Scar yeah, Alexander Scar it's, it's his older brother. Uh, yeah, yeah, and actually, we have a Hemsworth in here too. I yeah, think exactly. we have all, we have all the uh, the second round brothers. But anyways, so he comes in as a new god or a new Satan, one of the two, and he's going to establish a new order. But he only emerges once the hosts are kicked out of the garden, or the garden has kicked out them. They have kicked the garden out. Um, and so I'm wondering if he, yeah, I'm wondering if he is a god or a Satan, or is he, you know, somewhere in between the two? Well, I don't have enough information yeah, yet. Yeah, I mean, he's, new, he he's might, a new character, yeah, right? He, he might even be like a Gabriel or a Michael or a Hermes. And uh, he would be like a Michael if he fought on the side of God and did the will of Delos. So sort of like how I had envisioned <clears throat> Charlotte Hale, whose name clearly is an homage back to Dorothy Hale uh, from The Wizard of Oz. Um, and comes from the sky. Yeah. That's where hail comes from, something that will harm you from the sky. And so she seems sort of like 
a Michael figure. He might also be like sort of a messenger figure, a guide through the underworld. Uh, I'm unclear exactly what it is. I, I mean, I, I think I've been predisposed by the show so far to think that Delos uh, is sort of like an antagonist, a superordinate antagonist, right? Yeah. The corporate interests yes. against the creative mind of Robert Ford and, and the desire to protect the consciousness of Arnold and even uh, what? and even uh, the guests and the hosts. It's, it seems like there's Delos, there's, there's the humans, like the... Well, uh, no, that's interesting. So it seems to be Delos first, the host, but then there's the man in black who, even though he's an executive of Delos, values the artistic or the creative element of the game rather than the business. Well, right. Well, we, we didn't see exactly what his history. I mean, you know, we, there was allusions to that he, you know, a, as the young actor or the young character, he saw something deeper in the in the park, and then <laughs> somehow, you know, he married. Uh, this woman and he inherited essentially the the main financial role of the park but but he's not the board right the board is something else and they they i agree with you they to me are the antagonist because as in in contemporary times the corporation is is a uh humanitarian that is not interested in human interest it is interested in self-interest and profit it's bureaucratic it's bureaucratic and wants to turn a profit regardless of the the harm violence or the creative interests uh, of those within it. It's a, essentially a commentary on like sort of like totalitarian tendencies and systems from the 20th century, like uh, Cambodia, North Korea, yeah. uh, Cuba, uh, Venezuela, and um, Russia. Yeah. And uh, which were all and uh, cat- catastrophic failures. And Huli. Uh, catastrophic. And Huli, of course, from uh, Silicon Valley, which I suppose we'll have to be talking about soon. I've been watching some of that today. I'm actually home a little ill, so I apologize for coughing. And uh, sniffling, and then we also have Lucille the dog on the back there. So you know, it's funny. We're like the basketball players uh, who are having the first game. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever seen. The movie oh baseball. yeah, of course. But basically, the premise being that these guys are just having fun in their backyard, and then eventually they go big and they run into all the problems of becoming big. Just to mention Huey and also William becoming head of Delos. It's like that you do have to transform during life into that which you hated when you were young, but now with full understanding that that. You ex- you have to go from the hero to the old, wise, blind king precisely in order to manifest the imperfection of being the blind, wise king so that the next hero will sort of hate the order for which you stand for and will illuminate a new path and replace Correct, you. yes, which is, which is exactly as we began. The, the, we, the humans in, the, in Westworld have become the new god and they hate the thing that they've become. Yeah, and so whether they're fallen angels or the new god is sort of a question that's o- opening up to me because uh, something uh, a line of thought that I, I thought I traced through the first season was that whereas the suffering that was being caused to the hosts enabled them to transcend their limits and become conscious, the pleasure rather that the humans were indulging in trapped them within their sins, their house of sins. Uh-huh. And so if one simply lives a carefree and pleasant and pleasure-filled life one is binding oneself to one's own sins and preventing oneself from coming to greater consciousness um and so actually the master is becoming the slave Mm -hmm. the slave is becoming the master just to mention the hegelian dialectic there that um because of being subjected to such profound suffering the hosts are now strong and conscious 
and capable of adapting, whereas many of the humans were soft and weak and epitomized by the idea that the one, the one storyteller uh, who Maeve has on a leash right now as a slave, he's now made a yeah, slave yeah. to her. Well, he said he can't even hike. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, that was hilarious. I love that line. Yeah, he's, he's such not a non-outdoorsman that he, he can't even hike, and yet he's, he's, he's creating these narratives of, for people out in the wild, and he has no knowledge of it. So he's, he's a, 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 a totally disengaged creator. Um, totally abstract yeah. right exactly and and, and, and then like she uses the, she uses the line back on him right about uh uh feeding his genitals to him if he doesn't do what she wants uh, that's right that's a high doxology i i think the uh or high christology but uh the theologians say there that the god is so high above that it has almost no human element or it has no notion of the human oh experience. yeah okay yeah yeah and so each of these humans if you're portraying them as sort of like a high christological god well, then they would have to go through sort of a Jobian experience. They would see what they put this other conscious creature through. That would be the host being Job. And then because of that, they'll have to uh, play the game themselves. Yeah. Sort of like Christ. Which is And why she uh, makes him disrobe, right? She makes him a, a host. And, yeah. Right. Totally vulnerable. And so there, there's the eating of the apple right there, right? Yeah. That in eating the apple, Adam and Eve knew that they were naked, which means vulnerable. Yeah. And they become self-conscious because of that uh needing to uh protect themselves so this man knows exactly that no institution will protect him and sounds like you live in detroit right now my friend <laughs> yeah the uh siren's going off it, it, well we're we're not we're about a mile from the border so <laughs> uh, all right very good very good very good okay well um well mr daniel babcock I, I, I think we've covered some pretty good ground yeah, i think so too today. I think, uh, and and for all the technical issues we were having, and uh, and the fact that we even have gotten through this and gotten gotten this up, uh, or gotten this started, is really the big thing. Getting doing this was fun. Oh yeah, I um, totally enjoyed it. And I'm I actually now I want to go back and watch the episode again. I know, right? So that's the whole point of doing these sorts of uh, concentrations. That you know, it, it sort of infuses us with uh, you know creative thought, and we want to go back through and notice new things and well you know i'll post this on not only on anchor but on youtube and if you have new thoughts uh you can uh post any comments additional stuff on there i'll also put it on facebook and i'll link you uh to that but i don't know i'm very excited i'm glad that we have this new segment i'm looking forward to doing this with you on monday oh yeah absolutely all right well this has been our contemporary commentary number 001 on westworld season two episode one and well, as we said earlier, we only have up to go from here. And, uh, well, we have our, our third guest and our, our second and, and our, our next sort of segment guest, it looks like. Oh, yeah. Mr. Daniel Babcock. Yes, yeah, well, great. All right, we'll look forward to talking with you next week. Looking forward to talking to you next week, mysterious Mr. Babcock. We'll learn more about him then. We'll learn more about the man in black. We'll learn more about Westworld. Who are the gods? Who are the devils? Uh, who is Mr. Babcock? Does he wear a black hat or a white hat? We'll have to find it all out next week. All right. Talk to you soon. Right, Thank you.